The Your Money in 20 podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be interpreted as advice. Please talk to your CPA, attorney, or financial advisor for advice specific to your situation. Welcome to the next episode of Your Money in 20, the Woodward Financial Advisors podcast. This is Ben Birkin, Certified Financial Planner at Woodward Financial Advisors, along with Victor Colella, also from Woodward Financial Advisors and a Certified Financial Planner. Victor, how you doing? I'm doing well today, Ben. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty pumped up after that, that fresh uh, new podcast music dropped. That's right. Always improving. Never stop improving. Uh, so we've got our brand new music, good to go. Um, we didn't write it, but we're definitely using it. Unfortunately, folks can't see us on this podcast, but I can see you, you can see me, and unbeknownst to each other, we both decided to wear our blue and white gingham shirts. So, <laughs> twinsies power forever. You know, we're on the same wavelength. This is going to help with a topic like taxes today. Uh, That's right. We're going to need I mean, let's get fired up. Let's get fired up. We're talking about taxes. I'm excited. You're excited. Everybody who's listening is excited. When this podcast drops, no, definitely. When this podcast drops, we should be just a couple of weeks away from the brand new extended filing deadline for income taxes. We got a little bit of a different set of circumstances this year because of coronavirus. Normally, folks know the tax filing deadline is April 15th. This year moved to July 15th. But because of that, we thought this would be a great time to talk about taxes, tax returns, tax planning through the lens of what we do for our clients, which is every year we look at everybody's return. And we'll talk about that more later. But you know, let's just set the scene for a second about taxes in general, right? This is the largest expense that most people have. Sure. And, and it's not typical in the way that it comes. It's not like we get a bill for our taxes at the end of the year. Um, right, you have to prepare your own bill. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, in preparing for this episode, I, I listened to someone who's a friend of the firm describe it as we basically prepare our own invoice on behalf of the government. Um, and if that wasn't weird enough, uh, if you get it wrong, the stakes are pretty high. Uh, the long arm of the law uh, comes into play if you get it severely wrong, or penalties, and you get audited, and it's it's not pretty. So uh, the stakes are high. But it, at least it's simple, right, Ben? Yeah, very simple. There's just a quick, you know, three box form and you fill that out and boom, you send your money in and everything's easy. Nothing not, could be further from the truth. Yeah, not really. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. We've got a complicated set of rules that always seem to be changing. Um, even when things are made permanent, uh, they're never really permanent. So just as an example, last couple years alone, how many major tax changes have we had, Victor? By my most recent count, and I won't take anything off the table for the, the remainder of this year, but we've had three, right? We've had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We've had the SECURE Act last year, uh, and then the CARES Act, which is in response to this global pandemic that we're all uh, in together here. So just when you think you have a handle on things, they they change again. That's right. So yeah, in those really two and a half years, we'll call it, rates changed, deductibility changed, required minimum distributions changed, and then they changed again. Um, so there's always an ever-shifting landscape. You can never really quite set your feet. So, you know, I think the timeliness of this resonates well with why folks should care, because like you said, every year you're coming up with your own bill and you've got to pay it and the penalties are steep if you get it wrong. 
But we think about this, at least internally, a little bit more broadly than that, right? It's not just about, hey, did we get our taxes right? Yeah. Like there's kind of an obligation here. And this is this is not taxes are good or bad. This is just more how we think about it maybe internally, which is our goal for our clients and anybody who's filing a tax return is pay what you owe, but don't pay a penny more than you have to. Yep. And and I think getting your taxes right is is a I, I'm not gonna say it's a misnomer, but it, it's not the full picture because right means that you're not gonna get penalized. But but the difference between right and best is significant. So best is more when you get into the tax planning things that we're gonna talk about for a majority of the episode, is sort of the longer term view of how do I not pay a penny more than I owe, but every penny that I do owe not just this year, but over the course of your lifetime, really, with, with, without making it too big. But uh, that's really what we're trying to help with. Yeah. And I really like that framework of right versus best, right? The math could be exactly right, but it's very possible you did something where had you done something different, your obligation could have been a lot lower. So, you know, we've gotten to an age now where folks have greater ability to do their own returns with software. You know, nobody's doing them by hand anymore, I hope. Um, but there's still, even with software, as good as it's gotten, there's a potential garbage in, garbage out issue. There's i I'm putting these numbers in because that's what the program is telling me, but I don't understand them necessarily. And there's, you get to that point sometimes where it's, I'm not sure what I've got going on here, but the program says it's okay. So I click the button and send it on in. Maybe not always the best way to go about doing this. Yeah. And I think that's, when we talk about the goal of our conversation today, and we're going to be talking about our review process because that's the context that we have. After this podcast, I probably am going to do a couple of these reviews. Uh, but it's really, whether you have a tax preparer and an advisor or not, it's coming up with those triggers that that for us represent planning opportunities for our clients, but for you might represent the need to do a little more research or to talk to your professionals that are in your life, or maybe to consider getting one, um, mm-hmm. a tax preparer or an advisor or both, depending upon the complexity of your situation. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you and I talked about offline before we started recording was my memory of years ago before I was really more entrenched as a financial planner was getting the note back from my tax preparer saying, look this over, see if there's anything wrong and let me know if you have any questions. And me scratching my head saying, like, I don't even speak this language. How am I supposed to edit it? Um, so I think you know a little bit of education can go a long way, even if you don't go about doing your own tax returns understanding what's there and how you got there is powerful. That that feels sort of like a surgeon asking, let me know if, if everything looks good to you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Did I sew this up right? What do you think? Yeah. So let's talk about this, right? Let's talk about tax planning. And like you said, we're going to do it through the lens of our return review process because we think that's the best framework to go about doing this. We know not everybody works with an advisor, but this is the best way that we could think about to present this. So every year we ask our clients for their returns and we look at them and we go through a pretty extensive checklist and review process that we've refined over the years, right? So what are the main reasons why we review those returns? So the first one, and you've alluded to this already, is on the education side. Now we end up doing this by talking to our clients about their returns. Other folks who might not be using an advisor would still want to know how did we get here and what does all this mean? But I think one of the things that you brought up before is this great question or know when to ask this question about, are there tax implications to this decision? 
And if so, how much does that decision, quote unquote, cost? Yeah. Well, yeah. And even if you have the best tax planning team around, we don't follow you around um, in your day-to-day life. So I think this one's critical. But uh, And it's, ba- it's, it's even just basic education on how in a big picture sense, the, the, the tax system that we have in the United States works, um, which is a big one. And I think one of those is the marginal rate structure. Uh, and, and just to give an example, if you're a, if you're a married couple, uh, in 2020, let's use 2020 as an example. Cause I have the tax rates in front of me here. Let's say you have $80,000 of income. Now, there's a lot of different ways to define income as as we're going to cover here, but $80,000 of income, according to the tax brackets, you have a 22% tax rate, marginal tax rate. So that means- So that clearly means that I pay 22% on all that income, right? Yeah. And that's the that's the conclusion that a lot of folks will come to, even, even people who have a pretty good understanding of this type of stuff. But in reality, that's not the case. So the, the 22% tax bracket for married- married couples filing jointly is the third tax bracket from the bottom. So the first at zero to $19,000 or so is at 10%, 19,000 to about 78, dollars is in 12%. And then everything higher than 78 and change is 22% until you get to the next bracket. So in reality, most of your income is actually taxed at 10 or 12% because that first 19,000 is at 10%. 19 to 78, 79 is taxed at 12%. So it's not quite that simple. Yeah. So even though I think of myself as being in the 22% bracket with your example, very little of my income was taxed at a rate of 22%. More of it was taxed at those lower rates. So that's one way. And then the other, I think, wrinkle, of course, is that there are two different buckets of or two different types of income. So really, you actually have two marginal rates. So what you talked about was the ordinary income rate, which is a lot of income for most people, especially working folks. But for folks that have portfolios and investment-related income, that income can be taxed differently at preferential rates. So most folks might be aware of long-term capital gain, so selling an investment for more than you paid for it if you've held it for at least a year, that's actually taxed according to a totally different structure. And for many folks, the rate on that might be about 15%, although it can be lower and higher depending on how all your income works. So already we've started to get into uh, the proverbial weeds. Yeah. And and in the context of our reviews, frankly, whether you're being tax efficient in, in I'm doing air air quotes there, but is more a function of what that effective rate is than it is your marginal rate, which is what the next dollar of it left. If Ben paid me a dollar for recording this podcast, Not it would get taxed at that marginal. I, I think I'm worth more than that, Ben, but you know, <laughs> uh, that next dollar is taxed at that marginal rate. So that's important. Uh, but overall efficacy of your sort of your tax efficiency is much more a function of that effective rate. So, uh, right, and so an effective rate w- could be defined as just taking your total tax obligation and dividing it by your total income. And when yeah. we do that for most folks, I think they're surprised to see it's lower than what they might have thought in their heads. Yeah. So that's so the edu- yeah. I was just going to say. So that's the first reason we review is just to to equip our clients and whoever we're doing this with with the knowledge and understanding that'll help them avoid pitfalls during the year. Cause it's not about being perfect. It's about avoiding those big mistakes. Um, and speaking of mistakes, I think that's the second reason that we r- review these returns is finding errors and omissions. 
many of which are unintentional, right? So even for folks who are working with a professional, that professional only can enter and do the tax return with the information they have at hand. So, you know, sometimes we'll run into circumstances where we get a return back from an accountant or a CPA. And because we might have more regular contact with a client over the course of the year, we can look at that return, not do all the math all over again, but notice, hey, something's not quite right here, right? Is there a number that doesn't make sense? Where did that number come from? Uh, Is there an income item that we just weren't aware of or a deduction that didn't get taken? So, handful, I mean, there's there's many, but a handful of some of the more common ones that we've seen over the last couple of years is, is there income on a tax return that's from an account that a client's never told us about, like uh, an account that they've forgotten or an old limited partnership or something? That gives us a more complete picture of a client's financial situation. Uh, is there a required minimum distribution that somebody either took and didn't record or didn't take and should have that's not on the return? That's an ugly penalty, had, by the that's way. That's a bad one, right? Because yeah. that one it comes with its own penalties. Uh, we had one where a client CPA recorded them as making a contribution to a type of a retirement plan called the SEP IRA. It's for self-employed individuals. Well, the client actually never made that uh, contribution because we never knew about it. So I had to go back and fix the return. And then sometimes to folks making qualified charitable distributions, which are donations to charity coming out of an IRA that are treated differently in a tax return, those might not have been recorded correctly because a CPA might not have known about them. So finding those errors and omissions is important and can be a good source of joy when doing a return, when you find something good for a client. And the odds of finding those go up when you use those uh, non-human preparers. Not humans mm-hmm. have errors just the same, uh, but when they don't know you, when the software doesn't know you, I, I think the odds go up. Uh, but then I'm I'm going to shift now. So finding errors is is very backward looking and saying, did mm-hmm. we report correctly what happened already? But the third reason why we review these returns is very forward looking, which is saying, based on what we know about your taxes last year, how can we make things better this year? What opportunities exist to capitalize on this year? Yeah. And I think we've got a list of things that we want to hit off in this section that can serve as sort of those triggers to pause and ask, you know, does this have tax implications? Absolutely. And I would say too, not just this year, but many future years, right? So one of the phrases we'll talk about sometimes is tax returns are backwards looking. Tax planning is today and forward looking for multiple years, right? So one such item could be, let's just talk about this year as an example. Can we better control income, A, so that we're not pushing too much income for a marginal rate that we don't want. But also, there are different thresholds for various things that are tied to how much your income is. And of course, they're all different, right? So and, your and income there, control- There are many different definitions of income. I think there are yeah. seven or eight by my last count, but it's it's a lot. Yeah, that's its own podcast. But just knowing that your income or your adjusted gross income or your modified adjusted gross income controls your eligibility for things related to ACA subsidies- Roth contributions, Medicare surcharges, net investment income taxes, the taxability of Social Security, all these things weave themselves together. And if we can control that for a better outcome, we probably should, right? And and I'll just add an overlay on income. Often you can't control large chunks of your income. So if this year is a particularly high income or a particularly low income year, there may be planning opportunity, like for example, in a very low income year, Maybe it's a good time to do a, a conversion from a regular IRA to a Roth IRA because your marginal tax rate's lower that year. 
Right. Pay a little bit of tax now to save on lots of tax later. That's a great example of maybe it means paying more tax now, but for the longer term benefit of it. That's right. So along those lines too, and also, you know, income can control this to some extent, your deductions, right? So most folks are familiar with the concept of itemized versus standard deduction, where regardless of which one it is, that's going to reduce how much money you have to pay taxes on. If you itemize for things like charitable, mortgage interest, medical things, if your list of those things is higher than whatever the standard deduction is, you get to take the higher one, right? So far, so good. Itemizing is a little harder now because of some of the changes from some of the more recent tax rules. But if we've got this possibility of controlling expenses, maybe this is a year where we can lump together medical expenses or charitable contributions to increase the likelihood of itemizing. Get a little bit more of a tax break for the things that you either want to do or had to do. Um, And big triggers that enable you to itemize, Ben, you named them, but Big charitable contributions, big medical expenses, there are a few others. Let's go to portfolio. Let's talk yeah. about portfolio tax planning because this one's a big, uh, a very important one. Absolutely. So, you know, we talked about how um, long-term capital gains are taxed at a lower rate. Well, that's important because if you take short-term capital gains for things you've held for less than a year, that's taxed like ordinary income, which could be pretty expensive. Yeah. But depending on what your marginal rate is, that might also tell us, which types of investments work best in different types of accounts. Do you want bonds that throw off income that you have to pay taxes on or ones that might pay a little bit less in interest, but it's not taxed at the federal level, right? That would be one example. Yeah, that's a good one. And I I would add to that, whether uh, what investments you own and which accounts comes out of this too, based upon your marginal tax bracket. Now, And Ben, just to be clear, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. Where there's going to be a lot more that we can't cover in our time here, but uh, these are a few of the biggest ones that we see. Uh, so just just a disclaimer there. Yeah, and I think that's true too. And I should say too, this is not meant to be tax advice. This is not meant to be investment advice. This is just educational and informational in and of itself. So please don't take this and run away with it. As always, ask your tax preparer for uh, something more personal. Um you know, sometimes too, we'll talk about whether or not it makes sense to take gains or harvest losses, because again, depending on what your overall income is, you might be paying higher or lower taxes on those things. I think one of the last things we wanted to touch on too was uh, from a gifting perspective, how can taxes, um, how can they inform our gifting, both personal and charitable? Yeah, and what I and what I see so much, I'm talking about charitable for a second, is folks feel they they see a need for a cause and they write a check which sometimes is the best way to do charitable giving from a tax standpoint. And sometimes giving the same amount or in a slightly different way, either from an IRA or or retirement account or by lumping into one year using a charitable gift fund, uh, which enables you to do that lumping and then give over time, can really change your big picture tax situation uh, without changing anything substantive in terms of your giving. Yeah. And again, that can be governed by high income year, low income year. Where are we going to get the best benefit? And can we stretch things out or change things to maximize that tax benefit? Same thing might be true on a personal side. So rather than writing a check, maybe we donate, maybe we gift appreciated securities to a child who's in a lower tax bracket and they sell them and pay lower taxes. So we're thinking about the tax of the whole family as opposed to just one particular household. So there might be other things too. We didn't touch on education or business related things, but that all plays in there. Um, but understanding your tax situation, what we want to get across is how important that can be and when to maybe reach out 
and expand what you're doing by working with a professional. So for folks who uh, have enjoyed the podcast, we hope you do. You can always find more episodes on our website, woodwardfinancialadvisors.com. I'm sorry, it's woodwardadvisors.com. You can follow us on Twitter at WFA underscore Ben and at WFA underscore Victor. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a good rating so that other folks can find us. And other than that, Victor, we'll see everybody next time. Yeah, thanks for listening.